following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Father, I pray you open our hearts and minds to the truth of your word, that our hearts would be fertile soil, and that your good word would be firmly planted in us, that it wouldn't be hindered by uh, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth or the pursuit of pleasures, but that your seed would be a treasure to us, and that we would hide it in our hearts, and that we would give it the the attention, the focus. Lord, we, we would uh, we would be like those that build our house upon the rock because because we do, we practice what we've what we've heard. We we live out. Lord, let us be postured in this moment as a as as students, as disciples, as learners, ready to to do what you're you're going to compel us to do. Holy Spirit, would you speak to each heart uniquely in this passage? There's so much to glean here. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would have me. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you alone are a rock and redeemer. Let me be forgotten and you be remembered. Lord, let this be the truth of our time together and that we would be hungry for the truth of your word, knowing that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Help us to live out this truth and be set free. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm super excited. I, I know that's not anything new, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about this morning's message. Um, we left our, our, our pursuit through Luke two weeks ago. Uh, Rob did a marvelous job of, of walking us through the temptation of Christ and, and, uh, and Jesus went through that so that we would have an example of how to face temptation knowing that, you know, that it's God's word. It is written. It is written. It is written. It's God's word that brings victory in our life when we face temptation and God, as it says in 1 Corinthians, Corinthians 10, that he is faithful to always provide a way out, that we are never trapped in our sinful moment or, or the temptations that we face, that he will always give us a way out. Um, and, uh, and we know that that way <laughs> that he was, he's talking about there is Jesus, right? And, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God, Jesus modeled for us that we speak uh, the, the, the sword of the spirit into those moments, the, the powerful, life-altering Word of God is what really, we have hidden his word in our hearts that we might not sin against him. But verse 13 then goes on to say that uh, the, the enemy left him. He said, depart from me, right? And, uh, and you know, the good news is uh, that the, the devil and his minions are not afraid of you, um, but they are terrified of him. Fear and trembling, right? Like so. So, what does that mean? Let's stay close to Him, <laughs> right? Let's let's uh, let's abide in Him and in His Word, uh, because they they do what He says, uh, and that's why God's Word has power in in that realm. And and uh, so, you know, it says there that the devil in verse 13 of this chapter four. So, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I hope they're open and ready. I hope you're a student this morning. I hope you got uh, a pen in your hand and and notes ready to take because the, the, listen, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you, and our posture of readiness declares that we want that. Um, and so, uh, open with me to Luke chapter four. This is the third gospel uh, in the New Testament, third book in the New Testament. Um, uh, this is uh, this is written by a guy uh, who is a physician by trade, but a follower of Christ by purpose. 
and mission. Um, he, he was a Macedonian. Um, and, uh, and what his purpose is, he thought, <laughs> he thought he was writing a letter to one most excellent Theophilus. Like he thought he was writing a letter to, to, I mean, look at what he went through, you know, eyewitness accounts. And he says a most orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. He, and, and did he know by any stretch of the imagination that, that almost 2000 years later, we'd be reading it? Uh, across the world and, uh, and that saints would be, be transformed by just, but as the, as first Peter says, as the spirit carried him along, right? Uh, and all scripture is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, training in righteousness. So, um, but, but this is, this is one of two letters that Luke wrote. What was this, the other letter Luke wrote? Acts. It's actually referred to as Luke Acts, uh, because they, they literally dovetail right into one another. And, uh, and so we are, we are in the book of Luke. And, uh, and we are coming, uh, Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. John the Baptist has made some statements, as we'll look at this morning, uh, where he understands that his, his role as the friend of the bridegroom has, uh, joyfully come to an end, uh, that he must decrease so that he might, uh, increase, John 3.30 tells us. Speaking of Christ, that Christ would, would now come to the stage because John's mission and purpose was that he was to be the forerunner. He was the one that to, to announce the coming, and that's exactly what he did. Two days in a row but before he stepped aside, he said, there, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's him. And that's when both John and, J- and Andrew, his very first followers or disciples, uh, before they were even called disciples, they left as being John's disciples, John the baptizer's disciples, and John and Andrew went after Jesus. He basically, they said to him, uh, Rabbi, where, where, where are you staying? And he said, come and see. Because that's what Jesus does, right? He invites us in, right? Into his holiness, into his grace, into his mercy, into his redemption, into his love, into his father. Like that's what, that's what Jesus does. And so we leave this text in chapter four, uh, last time at verse 13 and, and the, the enemy it says here, and he left him for another opportune time. <laughs> Don't forget that. Uh, he's a roaring lion seeking to devour a thief. To steal, steal, kill, and destroy, and and uh, but but he is on a leash, and he is he is held back, as Second Thessalonians says, by the Holy Spirit Himself, and so that's uh, that's good news for the saint, right? And so, but we pick up in verse 14, and so here in chapter chapter four of Luke, uh, if I haven't said that, uh, verse 14 to 15, uh, and we're going to go through verse 30, and guys, get ready. This is so so good. Now, if you know me, you know that I'm a, I'm a context guy. Like, uh, I had a, a seminary professor that taught this, uh, this, this course with me that, that, um, that said, you know, he, he was, he'd say all the time, context is king. Context is, because if we, you know, the enemy loves to take things, God's word even out of context and make it say something that it doesn't. And context is so critical in order for us to really understand uh, from God's perspective what it is that he wants us to understand. But part of that context is chronology. If we, you know, it's culture and it's geography, all those things matter. So if you ever come across something in the scriptures that you don't know what it is or where it is or why it's there, man, pause, pray first and ask the author that resides. Isn't that awesome? 
Like we can actually talk to the author himself and ask him to impart his truth to us. Uh, so the Holy Spirit resides for that purpose. Jesus said, it's better that I go that he might come, that he'll lead you into all truth and remind you of everything that I've said. So we know that we have a promise that he will do that for us. So whenever you come to scripture and you will, where there's no understanding or, 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 or things are, are vague for you, ask the Holy Spirit. Don't go to commentaries. Don't go to your footnotes. Don't go to life application. I mean, that that's helpful at times later on, but, but we have the Holy Spirit to impart uh, the, the very understanding of his very own word. And so uh, when we get to this point in the text, um, it, it's so important that we understand chronology. Like, you know, how did, how did Jesus get here? So I've titled this message, uh, A Popularity Context. Um, and the reason for that is Jesus is going home to his hometown and uh, he comes in and he is now, uh, he's the He's the famous little Nazarene boy now, come back hometown. He's done some miracles. He's shown himself at Passover. And now uh, they're excited, man. You're going to do a miracle here? Oh, man, we're excited. And then he uh, he tells them the truth. He tells them the truth about their own hearts. And they don't like that so much. And in a moment, from marveling at him, the next thing they want to do is murder him. They, they, they drag him to the cliff of Nazareth. And this is no small cliff, right? This oversees uh, this this amazing landscape of 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 of, of the Palestine area, um, and they want to throw him. This is this is his hometown. This is where he grew up, right? And they want to throw him off the cliff. Who's behind this? Right, the enemy, right? Like I mean, but but they want to throw him off the cliff. It's not his appointed time. God provides. He walks. In the midst of the chaos, he will. But so I, I, I say that this particular message is a real cliffhanger. So, um, so hang on. Um, so let's read verses 14 and 15. And, uh, and, 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 and I want us to, you know, I got so excited this week because the Lord just showed me this. So I'm going to share it with you. Um, 14, 15. And Jesus returned from the Jordan. Uh, from, from Passover in Judea, uh, in the power of the, of the Spirit to Galilee. That doesn't mean that he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit prior to that. Um, his ministry had been announced, inaugurated, um, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. So he's, he's going back to Galilee, right? Now, I want to just say the Galileans were kind of the, the blue-collar Jews, right? I mean, uh, if you can forgive my my politically incorrectness here, uh, they're like the the redneck Jews, okay? So like, um, they're not the Judean Jews. They're not the educated Jews. They these guys are the uneducated. That's why it said, you know, later on, it's like, aren't you unschooled ordinary men? Like that's how they were spoken of uh, when they were being used by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, but but now through a series of things that I'm going to unpack for us here, Jesus has kind of announced uh, on the other side of the Cana, uh, the wedding at Cana Galilee, where he told his mom, it's not my time yet. His time has come. And where does he choose to announce his messiahship? Not just through signs and wonders, but through the scriptures, through Isaiah 61, but in his own hometown, in the synagogue that he grew up in, in the synagogue where he would have it was his custom to be uh, on a weekly basis on Sabbath. And so verse 15 says, and he taught in their synagogues, that's in Galilee, uh, being glorified by all. Now, when I looked at this, uh, what I found was, is that, you know, 
the Holy Spirit is the author, right? But 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 here Luke was the instrument, and he takes a very in two verses, fourteen fifteen, he takes a very broad stroke over the chronology of Jesus's life. But fortunately, we have the Gospel of John, right? And these two verses actually encompass from John one nineteen all the way to John four forty five. Now these are no small events. Uh, this is the woman at the well. This is a conversation with Nicodemus. This is the wedding at, at Cana of Galilee. So the, these are these are events that are unique to John's gospel. But this is what's what's happening in the chronology leading up to this moment that only Luke lets us know about, which is this encounter that he has with his hometown folks. Are you with me? So what I thought would be so important for us to do, and I highly recommend that you always do this, is, is make sure that you're, in order to be in the context, you've gotta, you gotta, you gotta stay in the chronology. And that requires us being seekers and knockers and askers. That requires us, uh, you know, really pursuing him in his word and not being superficial readers, but, but listeners and pursuers of God through his love letter and, uh, and his word. And so I'm going to very quickly, I'm going to take you through what actually transpired on the other side of the, of him leaving the Jordan after being tempted. Um, you know, previous to that, what happened? He was baptized by John the Baptist. Um, and I'm going to walk you through the Gospel of John. Why? Because chronology matters. It's a major part of the context of life. Now, I mean, of Jesus' life and ministry. So here's, here's what I want you to see uh, as the benefits to digging into chronology. Uh, whenever we dig deeper, God unpacks himself more profoundly to us. So uh, how many times did Jesus cleanse the temple? I think I just told you, right? Okay, there you go. So um, twice. When did he do that? Well, interestingly enough, you know that he did it on the other side of uh, what we celebrated a few weeks back, which when he came to Jerusalem, uh, eight days before his, his, uh, his resurrection, he, uh, he marched into Jerusalem, right, riding on a donkey. Right, we call it Palm Sunday because they threw palms. Uh, it was basically rolling out the red carpet. Messiah's here, right? Uh, eight days later, crucify him, crucify. I mean, we're we're fickle. We'll talk about that as well. But but uh, do you know that as they were celebrating Messiah, Jesus was mourning. That was his disposition. And and what he does is he ends up getting off that little that fold of a donkey, and he goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. What does that mean? He turns over money changer. He says, do not make my father's house uh, that's meant to be a house of prayer, a den of thieves. They were selling and exchanging. He turns over all that, says, this is not the intention of this space. It's meant to be a house of prayer. And um, But you know, the other time he did that was in part of the chronology we're looking at here that Luke jumps over, that we get in the Gospel of John. And, and when you really dig into that, you discover this amazing truth. Do you know what the bookends of Jesus' mission and ministry were? The cleansing of the temple. That's what he did when he, before he inaugurated his ministry, and that's, when he, that's what he did when he concluded his ministry. And isn't that powerful when you think about it? Because what is the mission? What was Jesus' mission? To cleanse the temple. You and me! To cleanse the temple. We are the temple of the Holy I, I just, I love that. But see, we don't discover these things if we don't dig in to the chronology. So 
Here we go. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 19 to John 4, 45. And this is just a backdrop to this because I don't want us to continue to move through Luke, Luke without having the chronology uh, of this particular segment because it's vital. It's things that we don't get anywhere else but in the Gospel of John. So let, let, me, let me move you through real quickly. Uh, pay attention. Here we go. So the events took place during this time, uh, like I mentioned, are recorded in John. So John and Andrew... John the disciple and Andrew followed Jesus, left, left uh, John the Baptist. Andrew bought, brought Peter to Jesus. Jesus called Philip to follow him. He, did, he didn't say those words to the other boys, the, the, but these, there was going to be eventually five guys, the first three being fishermen and all of them being Galileans that would follow him. And, 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 and really, you know, they would be with him at the Cana, uh, in Cana for the wedding. Um, all these guys were Galileans, as I mentioned, specifically from Bethsaida, um, is, we know, uh, without the, I think maybe with the exception of Nathaniel, uh, we know that, that these, these boys, uh, are doing, doing fishing in that particular part of the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, Philip found Nathaniel and brought him to Jesus. N- by the way, Nathaniel is the one that says, can any good thing come from Nazareth, right? Can any good thing come from this town of Nazareth? Um, and so, but it's interesting when he met Jesus, this is what he said after Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree. Uh, this is what he said. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, right? Man, so often we, we tag, uh, uh, t- uh t- Thomas as being the, the doubter, right? Because of his statement in the, in the upper room. But do we forget that he's also the one that says, let us go with him that we might die with him. Like that we, that we all have these moments where we, we, we make statements filled with faith or doubt, but, but, but this is what, this is what Nathaniel said. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Then the wedding at Cana, which we see in, in the gospel of John. Uh, this is where Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Jesus goes then to a Passover, one of four Passovers, his first Passover as, as, uh, uh, you know, as with disciples and, and, but by, by no means his first Passover as, as a person. So he goes to the Passover, he cleanses the temple, as I mentioned. This is when he says to the Jews, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Like, I mean, like they, they said to him, you know, very early before he's even announced himself, says basically what they asked him was, you know, give us a sign. But what he was saying was, who gives you the right to do this? Right. What gives you the right to clear the temple? What? I mean, who are you? And he says to them, tear down this temple. And in three days. And it says that he was, you know, they were like, oh, it took 46 years to build this temple. How are you going to build every build that in three? He was talking about his body and it says his disciples remembered that after the resurrection. Like Jesus was talking about, like he was always speaking from a spiritual perspective. And then to, to really make a point of that, he has this conversation with the ruler of Israel. That's what Nicodemus was, the ruler of Israel, not high priest, but the judge, the ruler of Israel. And here are some things that I, I want us to hear in the conversations that lead up to what we're looking at this morning. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered him, speaking of Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I can't unpack these things, but I want us to understand, you know, the, the things that, that Jesus is saying and listen to these wonderful statements about him being the only way to the Father. Later on in this conversation with Nicodemus in verses 14 and 15, it says, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness for healing, right? 
so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What is he pointing to here? You know, with Nicodemus, long, very early, he's talking about the cross here. So must the Son, so, uh, so, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Listen to what, what he says here. John 3.16, going to verse 20, it says, uh, in fact, I'll, I'll stop at 18. Listen to what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal or everlasting life. And then he says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Man, you know, how are we saved? By faith, by believing that Jesus is exactly who he is. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by, by our effort or our goodness. We don't have any <laughs> that's worthy of, of, of right standing before God. Jesus says, trust me. I will impute through faith, through believing in me, I will impute the righteousness that allows you to draw near to my Father. So during this time, John the Baptist was transitioning by saying these things. Listen to what John, this is all happening. This is the chronology leading up to this morning's text. It says, you yourself bear witness, bear me witness that I said, he's speaking to his disciples, John the Baptist says, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride, the one, he's speaking about Jesus here. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He's talking about the saints, the body of Christ. The friend, speaking of himself, of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly. This is what John says is his disposition. It's not a competition of who's getting, baptizing more people. I'm stepping aside. I've only been here so that he could, preparing hearts for his mission and ministry. Rejoicing, he says, um, who stands here, hears him, rejoices greatly, speaking of himself, at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. What a great example to us. In, in verse uh, 36, uh, it goes on to say, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Man, doesn't this all sound like reoccurring statements, like believe in Jesus, that that, that the wrath of God might be quenched by his mission and sacrifice and love. Jesus met with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in Sychar, right, on his way back from the Passover. So important that we understand the chronology. He's coming now back from the Passover, and he's going intentionally he's going through Samaria. Like, can you imagine the disciples are going, what are we doing here? Like this, this, we shouldn't be here. This is not, this is not our way. We don't like these guys. You know, Jesus is addressing their, their prejudice. He's addressing their, their, their lack of love. And, uh, and they get to Sakar and he dismisses them to go get lunch. And he sits at a well at noon. And, and this lady, this poor lady that's been married to five men and now is living with a man that's not a, you know, her husband and, and is an outcast. And that's the reason she's coming at noon, not first thing in the morning. And, and Jesus sits down to have a divine appointment with this precious woman that he loves. And he chooses her, a woman. <laughs> What's the social status there? Like, like, uh, and much less 
this poor woman that's that's had such a shaded and jaded past and 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 he he chooses her to be the herald of the gospel to 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 her city don't you love god like he always chooses the the least and the and the last like i i love that and and jesus uh, unpacks for her these 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 precious words jesus said to her anyone who drinks of this water speaking of the water from jacob's well will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water that I will give him. Speaking now, the Holy Spirit will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit being described here again with water. And, and then later on in verse 32 and 34, but he said to them, so what happened here is, is his disciples have come back now and they've got lunch. And, uh, and, and he's, he's not wanting the lunch that they provided. So he's, uh, you know, he go, he says, I, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're like, did somebody else give him a meal? Like, I mean, we went and got this food and now he's like, you know, and, and he says this, he says, no, let me, let me read the text for you. But, but he said to them, the disciples, I have food to eat that you, that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, don't miss this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's what nourishes me. That's what feeds me. Like man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But, it, but, but doing his will is, is nourishment to our soul. He, we, we are fed, spiritually speaking, by, by living out God's word. He stays in Samaria two days. They asked him. They said, she runs back to the town. The town comes out. They come out in their, their, their typical white clothing. And, and Jesus says to his disciples as they're approaching, he goes, look, the fields are white to harvest. Right? And, and basically says, go get them. Right? And, uh, and, and then later on, as he, he's asked, oh, Lord, would you stay? And, and he, he shares, like, like he stays in Samaria and spends time with these people that are that are hated by his Jewish culture and loves them. Look at the the, the stage in which he does this. Early plant seeds, but later on it says in, in verse 42, and they said to the woman, "It is no longer don't miss this because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world." Can I make that practical real quick? Look, do you have a testimony of that Marty point to this morning that of the grace of God, the transforming work of God's spirit in your life? Man, we're called to under the power, like we're given the spirit clothed with power from on high in order to be his witnesses. Do you see what this, this woman did? She met Jesus and she went and told everybody about what he knew about her and what he said about himself. He says, I am he. And then she immediately went and told everybody and there was there was a degree of faith because of her testimony. But then what, what did they do? And here's the practical expression. Man, go out to your mission field. Please share. Like, I know it's a scary proposition, right? To, to be light in a dark context. But but like the, the, the spirit's going to put the words in your mouth and, and he's going to give you the power to do it. Like, it's a miracle that I stand here and preach. I, I mean, I, I was terrified, terrified to be in groups of two or three people and open my mouth. I mean, but what does that point to? That God wants to, by faith, overcome our fear so that he can use us the way that he's deemed and, do, and desired to do so. And like, but, but here's, she goes back to a context that she is obscure to, that, that, that does, 
that, that, that is considered her an outcast. And she goes back because something is bigger than her fear. Something is better than, than her concern for her own reputation. <laughs> and she runs into that context and she says, I found him. He's here. He's here. <laughs> Go figure, right? And they come. But then, but then, so here's practical. Like, then after you witness, invite them to come into community. And invite them to come among the disciples, right? And experience Jesus for themselves firsthand. And then they can say what this guy, listen, listen to what they said. It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Guys, would would you be that that herald, that witness? Like this is why God gave us His Spirit. He said, "You will be clothed with power." Like this is this is the purpose of God's Spirit. Man, we are so focused on how does this how does this help or bless or or affect me? Like we have got to die to that because it's got to be about it's got to be about Him. Like, how can I, how can I posture myself for the glory of God? How can I use my time, talent, resources, the very things that God's given me? Do you know that the Spirit, I don't think the Spirit's going to empower you for your kingdom. But He will surely empower you for His. Right? And so, if, if you want to experience the power of God, we have got to, with, with true, sincere hearts, He knows our hearts, we have got to run after the mission of God in our life. We've got to lay aside our kingdom, our will, our desire. We've got to truly die to me so we can live for thee, right? So that's, that's what's going on here. And then it says this, and after two days he departed for Galilee. This is, this is John's kind of, you know, filling in the gaps. Verse 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans, don't miss this, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. They were there, for they too had gone to the feast. So here's the thing. Hey, our hometown boy is pretty popular. You guys hear what he did? Like, maybe he'll do some of that for us. Like, man, one of our guys, I mean, the, the town that has such an ill reputation, wow, like, finally one of our guys is, is, uh, is, is pretty popular and doing some pretty amazing things. And so they welcome him initially. Let's pick up the text. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, Jesus, came to hometown. He had lived there for, for the better part of 30 years. Right? This is where he grew up. Where he had been brought up. And listen to this. And it was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Can, can I say something here, please? Please, this is so important. He went to the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath day. Jesus is no respecter of persons. He, he is not looking to, to, to uphold uh, the, the, the traditions of the elders. In fact, he redefines everything from the ideal perspective of what God intended. So anything he did as it relates to fasting, uh, as it relates, relates to uh, Sabbath laws and all of that stuff, he, he defined them in, in the mo- most ideal way. Jesus went to synagogue every week because... That's what he wanted to do. There was no, there was no obligation on his part. He was being an example to you and me that 
We should not neglect the gathering together. It's essential. It's necessary. Do you know that part of Jesus' presence, clearly the body of Christ, is, is manifested in your life and through your life when you gather together with the saints? You know, when we get together, uh, I mean, we've we've drilled it down to one Sunday, uh, uh, I mean, one 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 moment a week that we get together, right? And uh, hopefully not. Hopefully you're getting into life groups and and small groups and accountability, all these groups. But but like, but we gather as a as a church once a week. Like we should never neglect that. Jesus models that for us, shows us the necessity, the importance of that by his example. It was Jesus' custom to join in community worship, an example that his followers should imitate. And you know what? I'm sure we need it more than he did. Right? Listen to what Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Well, I have a question. Where and how? Kind of tells us. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some but encouraging one another, that's what happens when we stir one another up to love and good works, but encouraging one another, and don't miss this, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's capital D day, that's the, that's the return of Christ. Guys, we are desperate to be together and the body's gifts be exposed and expressed to one another. When, you don't, when you're not here, we miss out. When you're not here, you miss out. I mean, we, we, we need to be fed, right? We need, we need to be, like every gift needs to be brought to the, to, together so that we can experience either encouragement or teaching or whatever it is helps. I mean, we all need it. And I, and I also think it's interesting. Jesus didn't follow man's rules, but fulfill God's will and word. I did not come to, to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, right? So a typical synagogue service opened with a petition for God's blessing. Like they just, they, it was a petition, a, a statement, a, asking God for a blessing. Then they would, they, they, then the, the reading of the traditional Hebrew confession of faith. Now, what I want to do uh, with our time to, that's left together, what I want to do is, because the context of this passage is a, is a, is a, a synagogue service, a, a, a very traditional Gentile, I mean, a, a Galilean um, Jewish synagogue service. Have you ever wondered what was that like? What did they do? What, how did they, how did they format? And, and Jesus is a part of that in this context. And so I thought it'd be really cool if we kind of did, did it with that format. So I'm going to ask, one of the things that they would do is every single time that they gathered in this format, which Jesus is, is now depicting, uh, through his, through his experience here, um, Every time they gathered, they read these two passages from Deuteronomy. Every single time. So I'm going to ask two of our folks to, to stand and read that for us. The first one is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And then they would read Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21. Every synagogue did this. So do you think it was important that they, that they remembered these, these if? You know, basically, obey God's commands and love him with your lives. And if you, if you do so, God is going to take care of all of your needs. You know, but if you forsake him, I mean, like, do you think it's important that, you know, you don't trust him? You don't, you don't put your hope in him? Like, it was important that they read this every single week that was read at the synagogue. So this was followed by a prayer and an arranged reading from the law, 
right? The, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then from the prophets, these were two arranged readings that would happen in the synagogue with the reading paraphrased by a teacher from Hebrew to Aramaic in this particular context. So this is what happens in, in our text this morning. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll. Now, um, you know, these scrolls were books. They don't have chapters and verses like we have today, right? So they, they, this was a pretty, this is 66 books from our perspective. This is a pretty thick scroll, right? And it's handed to Jesus. These, these folks that were either priests or rabbis or, or the, the synagogue ruler or a layman, I mean, they were very, very familiar with this, with, with, with this text. They could really, they could unroll that, that scroll and go right to where they want to go. How do you, th- how good do you think Jesus was at that? Exactly. So, so he, he decides he's going to, he's going to go to Isaiah 61, which we know as verses 1 and 2, right? And this is what is read. This is what he reads to his hometown at this particular moment. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Guys, what happened in this moment? Jesus said, Messiah is here and I'm he. Now, it says everybody was like, Right. But can you imagine what the, the locals like? What would have been their perception? Do you think that the that the Jewish culture at this time, under this massive oppression from Rome, was in a, a hungry posture for Messiah to come? Well, we know that's true. I mean, they are hungry. They are prayerful. They are passionately prayerful. The priests, on a weekly basis, are going into the temple, offering incense with this very prayer: "Come, Messiah." And do you think, by any stretch of the imagination, that they were going, "Oh, this"? Like in their mindset, what do you think he looked like? The boy next, I'm sure that wasn't the case, right? I'm sure they were going, what? But then you, you, you wonder if they're going, yeah, he was, uh, man, he was a righteous little guy, wasn't he? Like me. I mean, like they, they, they maybe thought back at, uh, of, you know, things in his life and, but they're going, but I don't care. I don't care who it is. It's never going to measure up to what their expectation was, right? And then all of a sudden it's their, it's their hometown boy. It's Joseph's son. It's Joseph's and Mary's boy. It's the carpenter's son, right? And he's, and he's saying, he's, he's clearly saying that speaking from the word as if he, he is the word, he says, the Messiah is here. Now he not only says that, but he says it is the year of the Lord's favor. Do you know what that means? You know what he's saying? It is Jubilee. That's what he's talking about. Now what is Jubilee? Well, ideally, God gave Israel, he, this, 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 this principle, he, t- they t- he told them, every seven years, I want you to rest the land, right? And that means rest the, 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 the animals that work the land, um, rest the, the workers. You're to rest every seven years. Now, soil in a Jewish context is always symbolic. Like Jesus used it in the soil, like it's our hearts. Like that's what God wants is us to, to rest he wanted them to rest, like significantly the rest for the year. In fact, um, the, the gleaning of that, like in other words, all the stuff that fell from the previous harvest, that was what they were to eat for that year. They weren't to plant. They weren't to do any of that. Also, 
they, that, that's every seven years. But every seventh seven year uh, was in, in the final, in the end of that year became the 50th year. And this was the year of Jubilee. Now, this is what was supposed to happen in the year of Jubilee. By the way, crazy, they never celebrated one. They never, they were never uh, obedient enough to get to one 50 year moment where they could celebrate this, right? Um, and Jesus is saying, Jubilee is here. Now, let me tell you what, what Jubilee is. Jubilee is where all the land that was assigned to any tribe, nation, person, individual, like it all gets reset back to them. Every debt is forgiven. Every single debt is forgiven. Every slave gets to go home to their family, right? I mean, this is, this, this, this is pretty good news, right? Everybody look forward to this. I mean, for rich folks, this is, you know, like, but for the poor, this is, this is, this is good news. Doesn't that resonate? Like he says, I've come to preach good news to the poor, right? Like, and, and Jesus is the spiritual jubilee. Why? Because he relieves our debt. He sets the captives free, right? Like this, this is what he's saying. I have come to bring spiritual jubilee, right? And what do they do? They sit there and it's just almost like this, this silence that falls over and they're just staring at him. And when a rabbi sits down, what does he do? He teaches, right? So that's what he says. I have come to proclaim the, 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 uh, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the jubilee. Rolls up scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and then every eye in the synagogue is looking at him. And you can imagine what they're processing here. Oh my gosh, Joseph's son just told us he's the Messiah. Like, how can that be? Uh, right? And so let, let me read this piece because this is how I kind of wrote it out for it. By the way, jubilee is found in Leviticus 25, if you want to look that up. It's really, it would be excellent. It's a rebalancing of the economic system, spiritual from Christ's perspectives. Slaves were set free, returned to their families. Debts were forgiven. Land was restored to its original owner. And it was the year of rest for the land and the people, right? This was followed by a sermon that Jesus gives now. Uh, one, uh, you know, it was either a man in the, in, in, the, in the synagogue would do it or the rabbi would do it or the priest came. But, but then this sermon was given. And this is what Jesus says to them on the heels of that statement. He says, I began to, uh, and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So just in case some people weren't getting it, <laughs> he's going, I'm here, right? And then verse 22, he says, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that was coming out of his mouth. And they said, is, is not this Joseph's son? So their first response was, wow, this is amazing. This is awesome, right? Like they, I mean, I'm sure that there was just a, a litany of emotion and, and thoughts and questions. And, but can I ask a question here? I didn't intend to say this, but, but like, isn't it true of us that sometimes God doesn't show up the way we want him to? Isn't it true of us that sometimes we, we want him to do this and to look like this in this circumstance and to, and to approach this circumstance and, and he shows up in a more humble, in a more gentle, in a more powerful, yet meek way in that circumstance? Isn't that true? Like, and that's exactly what's going on here. And he says it was, it's been fulfilled in your hearing today. And they spoke well of him and all that. So it's pretty obvious that he had not served in this capacity before and was waiting for his appointed time. Rabbis didn't come into their, uh, to their position until they were 30. 
And it's, we're told in another gospel that he, he's now just about 30. Right? So, so he's, he's, he's following all that, that, that all, he's fulfilling all the scriptures. Right? And he shows up here, but it's interesting that they're just like, oh, it's like the first time. Like he's been in synagogue all this time, but he's not, he's not done this capacity before. And then verse 23 and 24, it says, and he said to them, now this is where it's going to shift. And he said to them, doubtless. Now, just so you understand what he's saying here, if you read it in NIV or other translations amplified as well, it's basically in our vernacular, no doubt. Okay, that's what what the word doubtless means there. No doubt you will quote to me this proverb, proverb, physician, heal yourself. Let me tell you what he's saying. That was a common proverb in their time. He was saying, do, do your miracles here. He, heal, heal your hometown. Heal yourself. Heal your family. Like, do what you were doing elsewhere here. We, we heard about or saw what you did down at, down at the Passover, and we've heard about what you've done over in Capernaum and amongst the Gentiles. But, but do, 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 do a miracle here. Guys, are we ever in this posture? God, do, do something for me. I, I, I don't want to have to trust you. I just want you to, I just want you to fix things. And this is what he says to them. Doubtless, no doubt you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, by the way, that's the land of the Gentiles. Interesting. Do here in your hometown as well. I mean, you did it for the dogs. Why not for? He said, he said, their words, not mine. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. See, they could see him as the carpenter's son that had grown up in their town, but not as the son of God. This, this, this is what limited their miraculous signs in Nazareth. I believe that. Not his ability or willingness, but their faith in him. That's what always, always holds back, prevents the, the, the miraculous power and presence of God to do glorious things as an evidence of who he is because, because we're still wanting stuff for us. We're still wanting him to just to, to, to do things. Look, and does he want to do that? But not at the cost of us acknowledging him as Lord, trusting him come what may. I mean, we face stuff all the time. Do you know that those are tests from his perspective? And the ideal response is, God, I trust you. I, tr- I trust you. Now listen, as we finish this text, listen to what it says. But in truth, this is, and this is what he says to the, to the group. This is what he says. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the heavens were shut up three and a half years or three years and six months, and great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, Gentiles. He wasn't sent to to the disobedient uh, um, people of Israel, but to a woman who was a widow. You can look that up in 1 Kings 17. And then he talks about Elijah's protege, Elisha. And there were many lepers in the land in the time of, of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. Again, a Gentile. You see that Second Kings 5, verse 28. And when they heard these things, listen to what it says. All, all in the synagogue were filled with what? Now, what were they filled with before? 
amazement, right? They marveled, right? Now, these, these folks that were marveling are now turning to wanting to murder him. Like this is, this is his hometown. This is the, 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 the moment he announces his, I mean, like, how would you, how would you respond? Like Jesus tasted everything, guys. He was betrayed. He was denied. His own family, his brothers, they mocked him, right? They, they mocked him. Go to Jerusalem. Show you, you know, like maybe they'll believe you there. Like, I mean, until his resurrection, right? And his hometown, like they didn't just leave it at rejecting him. We know the text says they dragged him out to the, the edge of town, which is the cliff. And they wanted to throw him and in there. In their craziness, he just, as he did at the temple later on, he just walked away. And you know what I, I, I get out of that is that until it's our appointed time, God will, God will provide, God will protect. Like this wasn't his time, right? And, and however it transpired, whether he just, he just, you know, in the frenzy, just, just walked out of it, God provided for his escape as he will for us, as we talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So he says, when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. So can you imagine someone comes here today, preaches something we don't like to hear and, 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 and you know, the good Christians we are, uh, we're going to take him outside and kill him. I mean, that's a, that's a righteous act, right? That's the, that's the right thing to do when God shows up in a mighty way, you know, and tells us the truth, the things that we don't want to hear. Well, we'll just kill him because I don't, I, it, here's the deal. We either have to submit to truth. We have to, we have to acknowledge, repent, confess, or, or we have to try to put it out and get rid of it. So let me, let me touch on a few applications because this is extremely practical for us. Their, admira- their admiration of Jesus was short-lived. They moved from marveling to murder. My, how fickle we are. They turned from admiration to antagonism after his admonishment. So here's my question for us today. How do you respond to admonishment? I'm talking about rebuke and correction. Do you know that according to Second Timothy um, 3, 16, 17, it says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Like, this is, like, of the four characteristics, I mean, I'm not going to say 50%, but of the four characteristics of, of the purpose of God's word, half of that, you know, two of them are correcting and training or, or rebuking. I mean, so we better get used to that. Like pride will get in the way of us receiving those those gifts. See, I believe if we fail to humbly receive the gift of admonishment, talking about rebuke and correction in our life, we invite discipline and hardship into our lives and we remain immature and blind to our own faults. I hope this resonates with you. Guys, God wants us to live transparent, humble, teachable, confessional lives that, 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 that lives in community with, with a rich passion to see love and harmony and sets their own agendas aside in order for others to experience hope, love, and peace. In fact, 
we should seek accountability and live transparent and, and repentative lives that recognize correction as training in righteousness and discipline as our Heavenly Father sharing His holiness with us, as Hebrews 12.10 says. How do you respond? Can I just be, be bold? Like, when someone comes to you and says, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. When the scriptures speak in that regard, when the Holy Spirit brings, you know, conviction, which is a big part of his ministry to us. When, 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 when the word is taught or when you're in your quiet time or someone that loves you enough and cares about you enough speaks the truth to you in love. How do you, how do you respond to that? Does your pride get in the way of you receiving that as a gift? And understanding that we all have blind spots and we, we need to be able to, to, to invite accountability into our life. It's, it's wisdom for us to have mentors in our life. And it's wisdom for us to, to, to go to those folks and, and ask them to speak into our lives and to, to identify areas of our lives, blind spots in our life. I, I can only see 180 degrees, right? Peripherally, right? That means I got, I got a lot of stuff going on in my life that I, I got a plank back there that I need people to help me see. And how do we respond when that, that opportunity, that gift, the Holy Spirit will faithfully do this, but how often do we quench it because we want to do what we want to do when we want to do it? Secondly, secondly, if we simply want Jesus to do miracles in our lives without our lives declaring him Lord, we will miss out on faith-building moments where Jesus reveals his power in our lives. That's exactly what happens here. When we're so transfixed on getting our needs met, which he's promised to do, do not worry about what you wear, what you eat. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you need and worry about will be added to you. I I, want to share this. This, St. Augustine said this. They love truth when it enlightens them, but hate truth when it accuses them. Is that true of you? And that can change. You know that, that we're told to humble ourselves. Humble our, Did Jesus humble himself? What an awesome example to us. Humble ourselves. So the priest was present, if a priest was present at the synagogue at the close of the service, like we're going to do this right now, um, he would offer a benediction. Otherwise, one of the laymen would pray and dismiss. And so I'm going to offer a benediction this morning because I wanted to to preach this in the context of a a Jewish synagogue service. And so would you stand as I read from 1 Thessalonians 3? And would you receive this as a benediction of, of what God, you know, in his scripture desires for us as his people? This is what it says. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.
Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.